Hello, everyone. I'm Alan Mellish, Director of Events and Online Content at the Human Capital Institute, and this is 9 to Thrive HR, your source for education, expertise, and knowledge in all things talent. If you just can't get enough of this kind of thing, check out hci.org for more amazing free content like this. Also, if you want to make a real investment in your personal development this year, learn about our highly interactive virtual conference schedule at hci.org forward slash conferences. This episode of 9 to Thrive is brought to you by the Marcus Buckingham Company, an ADP company. Learn more about them at tmbc.com. And we are joined once again by Amy Leschke-Carl, VP of Performance Acceleration at the Marcus Buckingham Company, an ADP company, for part two of our three-part series on engagement. When we last talked, we discussed what practitioners wish they knew about employee engagement. Today, we're going to be discussing the importance of knowing where work is actually happening on teams. So let's dive in. Great. Thanks for having me back, Alan. This is a great topic, I think, to take the next kind of double-click into the topic of employee engagement. Absolutely. By the way, great expression, double-click. I think I'm going to have to steal that for use later. So teamwork, as they say, makes the dream work. We've been hearing that for a long time. Is that still valid? Are teams still that important to work today? We're spread out more than we ever have ever been. There might even be less collaboration going on than we know. Is teamwork still really so primary in, in getting great work done? Absolutely. And we see that from our research. We see it from the data, how important it is for employees to feel as if they are part of a team. But what's changed, as you kind of alluded to, is the nature of teams. We historically have thought about or conventionally have thought about teams looking exactly like an org chart, that, you know, there's a hierarchy of teams and you've got this group of people and they are somewhat static, if you will. They're always on the same team. But we know in the world of work, I mean, just think about us today. We're sitting here and in a way, we're kind of a little team. We're not a team that shows up on anybody's org chart, but we're doing some collaborative work together. We're having a wonderful conversation, and we're going to share that conversation with others around the world. And work is very much like that now, even in places where you wouldn't expect it. You could maybe think about retail, or you could think about a distribution center where you might have a a team leader. That's how we refer to people who provide support, guidance, and direction to others. You might have a team leader who's got 150 direct reports or a nurse manager who's got 150 direct reports. That's not unusual at all. Is that really a team? No, I don't think so. I think that's a group of people who go to the same person for approval of stuff. That's not really a team. So I think as we think about this thing called teams and teamwork, is to really define what we mean by a team. When we say team, we mean a group of people working together towards some common outcome. And oftentimes, that's not reflected on an org chart. So as we think about teams, are they still important? Yes, they are. Absolutely important. But we need to distinguish a team of people doing work together from a group of people that sit inside of a predefined box on someone's org chart. And it's not even to mention the world of contractors and gig workers who may be part of those teams as well. So we need to think differently about what do we even mean by a team? That's a great point there that um, we all know of the situations where there's 100 people or 75, you know, that manager or team leader isn't really a, a team leader at that point. You're providing sort of administrative support, some guidance, but really that person doesn't have the ability to meet every week with every single person on their team for even 15 minutes, let alone 30. 
um, I think it's great that you laid out that definition of what constitutes a team and what doesn't. So in terms of teams, what makes them successful, what makes them not so successful, we talked a lot about the changes of, that have been going on. Has anything changed about what makes a team great or not so great? Or are some of the fundamentals still the same? We're just working in a different environment. Yeah, the fundamentals are still the same. And we've known for decades at the Marcus Buckingham Company and ADP Company, we've known for decades that there is a secret sauce, if you will, to really productive, highly engaged, low turnover, highly satisfied, attach whatever kind of adjective you want to that, that there is a secret sauce to having high-performing teams. And the most high-performing teams are the ones that are most engaged, and the ones that are most engaged have a very special kind of team leader. And, you know, it's not some big fancy model with 13 competencies with a bunch of levels and definitions. It's, it's not that, although we used to think it was that. Maybe some people still do think it's that. I think thinking that it's that is one of the reasons why we have gotten kind of stuck in the world of work. What we know the secret sauce is, is, and we talked about this on the last episode just a little bit, which was that frequency is the new currency. And what I mean by that is the best teams are the teams in which the team leader, whether they show up on an org chart or not, is paying really frequent attention to the team member about their near-term future work through a strengths-based lens. I'll tell you a little bit of a story about a recent client that I was working with. Happens to be in healthcare. We do a lot of work in the healthcare field. And he is a team leader. Uh, This particular team leader is a team leader, kind of mid-level in an organization. And he's got 25 or 26 direct reports. And this does show up on an org chart in this case, by the way. But he's got these 25 people that report to him, that look to him for guidance. And we know that the magic frequency is weekly. The magic frequency of attention is weekly. And can you imagine if if you have 25 people that you need to connect with, check in with, we call it a check-in, have a touch base, use whatever word you want. 25 people, like how do you find time for that? And what he said was this, it was just beautiful. He said, I do drive-bys with 25 people every single week. It's my number one job responsibility. My number one job responsibility is to ensure that my team members, those folks who I'm giving guidance to and support and direction, have all the tools that they need in order to perform their work at an extraordinary level. In order to do that, I need to pay really frequent attention to them. And it's simple. It's not complicated. I don't follow a big rubric or some sort of, you know, four-page document about what I'm supposed to say to them or questions I'm supposed to ask. He said, I simply do this. I ask them three questions. What are you working on this week? What's your most important work? Do you need anything for me to get that done? And are you doing okay? How are you feeling? Everything going okay? So kind of that health check-in from a priority perspective, from a support perspective, and from an emotional perspective. Those three simple questions, he said, I can do it. Most people, it takes two or three minutes. And they know that I'm paying attention to them for them, not kind of in this bigger context or following a formula. It's just those three simple questions every single week. In this particular case, he actually uses our our technology to help do that, which makes it so much easier. Thank goodness we live in the age of technology. Um, He uses our standout product. But regardless of how the mechanism, if you will, that you might do that, it's the frequency of attention from that most important person that's the secret sauce to teamwork. 
Yeah, you know, what I really love about some of what you're describing here is that it's both um, old school and new school, because I mean, I think there's plenty of people who remember the adage, you know, management by walking around, whatever the environment is you're working in, you're going to do a much better job of identifying problems before they become big problems or, you know, surfacing personnel issues where there's an emotional issue that maybe needs to be addressed or any of that. You do a much better job of that as a manager by going and seeking it out, going and talking to people all the time in in an informal way. And what you guys are doing is really codifying that, I guess, putting a little more definition around that. But I bet this is something that great managers have been doing for centuries, uh, if you want to get really technical about it. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's how we kind of broke the code, if you will, is by studying the world's best team leaders. And the one thing that they all did the same was those super frequent connections with their team members. It was that. It wasn't, again, some fancy, complicated model. Um, It was simply paying attention to people and particularly paying attention to people for the best of them, for that unique thing that they bring to the table. And it's not just a knowledge worker thing. It's an anybody thing. And it was kind of this big light bulb. And what, what amazes me is that we, we, again, the royal we, kind of the practitioner royal we, are still overcomplicating and over-engineering that fundamental human need that we have to just be seen for who we are. Just like see me for who I am. Don't make me be somebody else. Just see me for what I bring to the table every day and help me do more of those things that I do really well. That's beautifully said. So it seems sometimes as if uh, learning and development teams and HR have invested, this is kind of getting at what you were saying, that, you know, this investment into teamwork and using all different models of teamwork and how uh, the phases that you have to go through to become a quote unquote successful team Uh, there's a lot of investment in it. We know this matters. We know that great teamwork is what will get us to the next phase, the next level as an organization. But we don't always seem to get the impact from these investments. I'm sure anecdotally, people listening at home can rattle off a whole list of teamwork-focused projects that just never really paid off. What's going on there? Boy, I am that person as well. Um, with my years, 20 plus years as a practitioner, trying to do all of those things, buying programs and training. And, and it's, by the way, it's not that those were, um, I'm going to say negative investments, if you will. They just didn't lead to the impact that we thought they should, especially in the context of knowing how important this is. You don't need research, although we've certainly got it not only research at an aggregate level, but also data from our clients. And and it's just so naturally intuitive that teams are it in the context of work. It's where work happens. And so we've done all of these things. And I think we think it's more complicated than it is. Part of it is super complicated, by the way. I'm not saying that it's not. But if you think about a, a pie chart with all the things that team leaders have to do and all the complications that come with that, we, we talked about this a, a little bit last time as well, that when you think about Pareto's rule or Pareto's rule of thumb that tells us that 20% of our effort gives us 80% of our impact, you know, that 20% of effort from a team leadery perspective is what we just talked about. It's paying super frequent attention to my team members about near-term future work through a strengths-based lens. That's the 20% that's going to give me the 80% of the impact. 
And so the other 80% of the complication stuff, the hard stuff, the the icky stuff sometimes, only gives us 20% of our impact. And if we think about leading in the context of the real world, leading people in the context of the real world of work, most of us didn't come to this thing of people leadery stuff through the pathway of, I really want to lead people. Like it's been my dream since I was in high school or since I was a kid to lead a team of people. Most of us did not come at it from there. Some of us did, not me. And some people have come to it from that perspective. Most of us come at this people leader thing through the pathway of, oh, I really want to make more money. I want to provide for my family more. I need to, you know, to be able to save for whatever or pay my bills. And the only way for me to do that inside of my organization is to be a manager. So I guess that's what I need to do. I love the work that I do as an individual contributor, but I'm going to have to give some of that up and go be a manager. And I often refer to them as the reluctant team leader. And I myself am a reluctant team leader. And so when we think about the notion of this complicated thing and this hard thing of leading people, and we expect team leaders to be everything to everybody. But if we peeled back that onion, if we peeled back and just focused on the fundamental 20%, that gives us 80% of our impact. Oh my gosh, even us reluctant team leaders, I can do that. I mean, I just need to go pay attention to my people and talk to them about work and support them and guide them just once a week can be super light touch. Yeah, that's what you need to do. Call your HR business partner for all the other stuff that we can't quite answer. But if I just pay really frequent attention to my team members through a strengths-based lens every single week, um, we know from our data, and again, I'll go back to the the team leader I was talking about uh, a few minutes ago. We saw his engagement go up two to three times in a matter of 12 weeks just by simply making a commitment to pay really light touch attention to his team members through a strengths-based lens about near-term future work every single week. Engagement's kind of like a light switch. When you start paying frequent attention to people, the engagement light switch goes on. And as soon as you stop, that light switch goes off again. So creating that practice, that ritual of frequent attention and embedding that into the organization, that's how you get sustainable engagement. That's how you get high-performing teams, not just once in a while or here or there. That's how you get a critical mass of high-performing teams. Thanks, Amy. That's really fantastic um, discourse on just not only what's wrong with the way we approach things now often and, you know, how do we get the most out of our best teams? So, I do want to ask you, though, why is it so important for HR and talent practitioners to have visibility into how teams are feeling about work? Well, it's our job as HR practitioners, as talent practitioners, as stewards of the organization's single most powerful differentiator that we have in the market. And by the way, I'm not just talking about for-profit organizations, nonprofit as well. How do we ensure that we are serving our communities as best as we possibly can? And as a practitioner, that's our job. That's, that's our responsibility. And so being able to see into how each individual team is experiencing work and how employees in aggregate as well are even uh, kind of differentiated by metadata, by groups of people having similar experiences, if we can't see into that, how do we know? How do we know for sure that we have a team leader who might be struggling or that we may have a location, one of our facilities happens to be struggling. And even more importantly than that, where are those shining stars in our organizations that we can go learn from? 
how in the world is that team leader having such a high performing team given all of the disruption and challenges that we've faced? It's a beautiful thing to go find that out and then share some of those practices across the organization. And if we don't have measurement, if we don't have frequent measurement, there's no way for us to uh, to be able to see that and know that. Yeah, it's one of those things where you need that level of visibility, not only to find out what's wrong, but also perhaps more importantly, to find out what's going right. Um, because we should all be thinking of ourselves as sort of having a Hippocratic oath that we try to stay by, which is first do no harm. Like first, let's not screw up a system that's already running quite nicely. Thank you very much. So appreciate your thoughts there. Um Now, as we get towards the end of this episode, what's next for the world of teams at work? Um, How are organizations going to be most successful in accelerating the impact of their teams? How do we get all these teams, whether they're virtual, hybrid, or in-person, how do we get them to the next level? We see this again from the data and based on our experience and expertise over the last several decades, quite frankly, it is that one simple thing of embedding the ritual of frequent attention into the habits of work. And when that happens across an entire organization, when you reach critical mass, so it's not just for mid-level employees or managers or frontline employees or managers, it's all the way up to the C-suite. When we embed that ritual of high-frequency attention into the habits and into the operationalization of work, if you will, that's what's next for the world of teams at work. And quite frankly, it's what already is for the world of teams at work. And organizations that have done that are able to power through disruption. They're able to be more resilient. They're able to have reach critical mass when it comes to having the percentage of employees who are fully engaged, who are all in at work. And our job as practitioners and as leaders, quite frankly, is to create an environment in which that can happen. Thanks, Amy. And for everyone listening, be sure to tune in next week for our discussion on the role of the individual in employee engagement. And if you missed last week's episode with Amy, make sure to load that one up too for a stimulating conversation on what practitioners really wish they knew about employee engagement. And for all ideas related to HR, come visit the Human Capital Institute at hci.org. Don't forget to like us, rate us, and subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Alan Mellish.